Section 3 of A Dissertation on the Inspiration of the New Testament by Philip Doddridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The promises of our Lord Jesus Christ must undoubtedly have a very great weight with all that have reflected on that indisputable testimony which God himself bore to him in numberless instances. And therefore, though they are so very well known, I must beg leave not only to refer to them, but to recite the chief of them at large, and I entreat the reader to consider how he can reconcile them with an apprehension that our Lord Jesus Christ did at the same time intend to leave the persons to whom he made such promises liable to mistake both in facts and doctrines, and being deceived themselves to mislead such as should depend on their testimony where they profess themselves to be thoroughly informed." In that copious and excellent discourse which our Lord addressed to the apostles just before he quitted the guest-chamber to go to the garden of Gethsemane, that is, but a few hours before his death, the grand consolation he urges to his sorrowful disciples is this, that he would send his spirit upon them. The donation of which spirit is represented as the first-fruits of Christ's intercession, when, after so long an absence and such terrible sufferings, he should be restored to the Father's embraces this is spoken of as the first petition preferred by him and the first favour granted to his church for his sake john fourteen sixteen i will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you for ever yea christ declares and he could not be mistaken in it that the agency of this spirit should so abundantly counterbalance all the advantages they received from his bodily presence that strong as their affection to him was they would in that view have reason to rejoice in his leaving them john sixteen seven i tell you the truth that is i say what may be depended upon as a most important certainty and very important indeed such a representation was it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now from these expressions, were they alone, I think we might probably infer that the apostles, after having received the Spirit, would be in no more danger of erring in their writings than they would have been if Jesus himself had been always near them to inform them concerning any fact or doctrine of which they might have occasion to speak this is further confirmed by the title which is given him no less than thrice in this discourse the spirit of truth almost in a breath with these great and weighty circumstances that he should abide with them for ever john fourteen sixteen and seventeen that he should guide them into all truth that he should teach them all things yea and show them things to come john sixteen thirteen which must surely secure them from any danger of erring in relating things that were past but lest any should be perverse enough to dispute the consequence, our Lord particularly mentions this effect of the Spirit's operation, that they should thereby be fitted to bear a testimony to him, as those who had long been conversant with him, and whose memories were miraculously assisted in recollecting those discourses which they had heard from him. John fifteen twenty six and 27. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also, being so assisted, shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. And again, John 14.26, The Holy Ghost shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you soon after this our lord on the very day in which he rose from the dead in dependence on the aids of this promised spirit gives them a commission which nothing but its plenary inspiration could have answered or have qualified them to fulfil 
for coming to them he declares john twenty twenty one as my father hath sent me even so i send you and upon this he breathed upon them and said receive ye the holy ghost whosoever sins ye remit they are remitted and whosoever ye retain they are retained which whether it signifies a power of inflicting and removing miraculously punishments or of authoritatively declaring that sins were in particular instances forgiven or retained must either way suppose such a constant presence of christ with them as it is hard or rather impossible to reconcile with supposing them to err in what they wrote for the instructions of the church in succeeding ages these are the grand passages on which i rest this part of the argument yet i think i ought not to omit those in which christ promises them such extraordinary assistance of the spirit while defending his cause in the presence of magistrates and it is the more proper to mention them as the language in which they are made is so remarkable on this occasion when he tells them matthew ten nineteen and twenty when they deliver you up take no thought how or what ye shall speak for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak for it is not you that speak but the spirit of your father that speaketh in you may we not therefore on the same principles conclude that when they were to write for the use of all future generations of christians it was not so much they who wrote as the spirit of the father who in effect wrote by them and as it were dictated to them for the occasion will surely appear as important in one instance as in the other or rather much more important in the latter than in the former as an error in their writings would have a much more extensive and lasting influence than a slip of their tongues in a transient pleading before a magistrate nay to give this argument the greatest possible weight we find that the same promise was made almost in the very same words luke twelve eleven and twelve to persons in the dignity of their office inferior to the apostles i mean to the seventy which might have entitled their writings to such a regard as i am now labouring to engage to those of their superiors i shall only further remind the reader that our lord when just ascending to heaven refers to that effulsion of the spirit which was quickly after to happen even before they departed from jerusalem as the era from whence the grand accomplishment of the promises relating to the aids of the spirit was to be dated see luke twenty four forty nine acts one four and five and as all the apostolical writings which now remain were written several years after that event it plainly proves they lie within the period in which they were to expect all the assistance which these promises import the most plausible objection which can be urged against the application of these promises to the matter now before us is this that these promises only refer to the supernatural assistance granted to the apostles on great and pressing occasions but that they might easily without such assistance have written a true account of the life and preaching of christ and of such other facts as they record and consequently that their historical writings at least how credible soever we suppose them might be drawn upon without any inspiration at all to this i might reply that if it be allowed that the apostles in the books which we have been endeavouring to explain wrote the exact truth and that in their epistles they have made a right and unerring representation of the revelation with which they were charged so that we may safely make their writings a rule both of faith and practice the remaining question would only be about the propriety of using the word inspiration when speaking of them and therefore would on the principles i have laid down above be comparatively of small importance yet i think it easy in that view of the question to prove that these writings could not have been thus entirely credible if they had not been written under such a full inspiration of superintendency as is stated in the first part of this discourse 
i do indeed allow and no candid man can dispute it that the penmen of the new testament supposing them able to write at all might merely by the natural exercise of their memory under the direction of the common sense and reason of men have given us a plain faithful and very useful account of many extraordinary scenes to which they had been witnesses during the time they conversed with jesus on earth and in which they were active after his ascension and i cannot forbear saying that supposing the truth of the grand leading facts as that jesus of nazareth taught a doctrine confirmed by miracles and was himself raised from the dead i should have esteemed such writings supposing them merely an honest account of what such men must have known to be beyond all comparison the most valuable records of antiquity but when these writings came to be perused it is evident to me from the particular contents of them that honest and worthy men would never have pretended to have written in such a manner if they had not been conscious of superior direction and extraordinary divine influence for the historians of whom we speak do not merely give us a very circumstantial account of actions as what journeys christ made what miracles he performed in what manner he was received where and how he died and rose again and ascended into heaven but they do also as we may reasonably expect they should give us an account of the doctrine he taught and indeed if they had not done this the knowledge of his story amazing as it is would have been but an unprofitable amusement to us nor do they content themselves with giving us a short summary of his doctrine or a view of the religion he intended to introduce as the general result of their having attended so long on his instructions but they presume to tell us his very words and here they do not merely relate some short sayings the remarkable poignancy of which or their propriety to the circumstances in which they were spoken might have struck the memory with a peculiar force but they insert long discourses which he made on public occasions though they do not pretend that he left any copies of them or that they themselves took them from any written memoirs whatsoever and it is worth our notice that besides the many shorter sayings and replies with which our history is interspersed near one half of the four gospels is taken up with the insertion of these discourses now it was highly necessary that if these speeches of our lord were recorded at all they should be recorded with great exactness for many of them relate to the system of doctrines which he came to teach and others of them are predictions of future events referring to a great variety of curious circumstances where a small mistake might greatly have affected the credit of the prediction and with it the cause of christianity in general so that common prudence would have taught the apostles to waive them rather than pretend to deliver them to posterity if they had not been sure they could have done it exactly but how could they have expected to have done this merely by the natural strength of their own memories unless we imagine each of them to be a prodigy in that respect to which no one of them makes the least shadow of a pretence it is well known that several of those speeches of christ which matthew and john give us not now to mention the other evangelists contain several pages and some of them cannot be deliberately and decently read over in less than a quarter of an hour now i believe if my reader would make the experiment on anything of that length which he read or heard yesterday or even on one of those discourses of christ though perhaps he has read or heard it a hundred times he would find on a careful examination many things would probably be omitted many transposed many expressed in a different manner and were he to write a copy of such discourse from his memory and then critically to compare it with the original he would find the sense in many particulars where there was some general resemblance more different than he could perhaps have imagined and variations which at first seemed but inconsiderable would appear greatly to affect the sense when they came to be more nicely reviewed 
if this would so probably be the case with ninety-nine out of a hundred of mankind and i certainly speak within compass when a discourse to be repeated had been delivered but a day or an hour before what could be expected from the apostles with an interval of so many years and especially from john who has in proportion to the length of his gospel recorded more speeches than any of the rest and wrote them if we may credit the most authentic tradition more than half a century after our lord's ascension this argument would have great weight with relation to a man whose life was ever so peaceful and his affairs contracted in the narrowest sphere but it will be greatly strengthened when we come to consider the multitude and variety of scenes and those two the most interesting that can be imagined through which the apostles passed when we consider all their labours and their cares the journeys they were continually taking the novelty of objects perpetually surrounding them and above all the persecutions and dangers to which they were daily exposed and the strong manner in which the mind is struck and the memory of past circumstances erased by such occurrences i cannot conceive that any reader will be so unreasonable as to imagine these things could have been written with any exactness by the apostles if they had not been miraculously assisted in recording them and what is particularly mentioned by the last of these writers of the promised agency of the spirit to bring to their remembrance all things they had heard from christ himself john sixteen twenty six must i think incontestably prove that this was one purpose for which the spirit was given and therefore we may be sure that it was a purpose for which it was needed End of section three